Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Troche, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Last week, we celebrated the Respect Life Mass with Bishop Gaynor, participated in the March for Life in Washington, and spoke with two local pro-life OBGYNs about the options for women when it comes to their health. Today, we'll be continuing our pro-life conversation, specifically surrounding abortion, with Father Stephen Kelly, pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Columbia, an active participant in the pro-life movement, specifically as a volunteer with Rachel's Vineyard. I learned so much about the healing process for women who have previously chosen abortion, the options for families who feel they might not have any other choice, and I'm so excited to share them with you today. All of these resources will be linked in our show notes on Spotify, as well as our social media pages. Again, I want to extend grace to anyone who has been in this incredibly difficult situation before. I hear you. I see you. You are not alone, and you have options. His mercy is deep and wide. So without further ado, let's take a listen to Father Kelly. First, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and rearranging your schedule to make this happen. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and your involvement in pro-life movement? Sure. Uh, I got ordained in 2013. Uh, and in the beginning, I was kind of hesitant to get into a particular flavor of priesthood because I didn't quite know what direction God was going to call me within that. You know, some people go kind of get focused on Knights of Columbus or they get focused on uh, this thing or that thing. As far as kind of their particular area of interest or specialty where they where they spend a lot of time beyond just the parish life. And uh, it was not long after I got ordained that the invitation was sent out through uh, the DAS email or e-digest to go to a uh, priest training f- about Rachel's Vineyard. And uh, I said, well, that sounds interesting. I, I'll, I'll go try that. And it was in York County, which is where I was at the time. So it was a matter of convenience. It was uh, a, a beautiful weekend. It was at the old venue at the, the bed and breakfast there. Uh, I got to meet uh, Dr. Teresa Burke, who did the presentation, and people who were, had been involved with it, and the other priests who had responded to that invitation. And I didn't really have a particular call again to pro to a pro life, you know, as it, as it was. I got called to be the confessor for a retreat that I couldn't really do the whole retreat. I said, "Well, that'd be a good opportunity to get my feet wet in this." And as it turned out, when I got there, the priest who was going to do it had just come back from vacation. He said, oh, great. There's another priest. I would really like to go home and rest. I'm like, oh. So I got 
really thrown into my first retreat, having never seen a retreat before, and just fell in love with that ministry. Dealing with the difficulties of women who had all these negative repercussions that they didn't anticipate and the struggles and the sufferings that they didn't anticipate having, you know, and, and the, I guess expressing their frustration with the lie that they were told that when they get an abortion, it undoes that. It's like an undo button that restores you back to that situation you were in before. And you go back and live your life on this alternate reality where this, where this pregnancy didn't happen. And that's not at all what the reality is. I got signed up for the next, you know, I, I was called to do the next retreat and uh, the one after that and the one after that. And I really, and as an assistant, it's it's kind of easier to get away, assistant pastor or, or, or parochial vicar. So I did a lot of the retreats and I was, and I, I mentioned to some of the retreatants I was at the last retreat that this is being part of this ministry of these people who are suffering so much uh, really has flavored my own priesthood in this real love for the suffering who are dealing with the consequences of their sins and to be the instrument by which God extends his mercy and forgiveness to the people who have a difficult time believing that God wants to forgive them and, and be able to move forward in that, in that divine mercy. So that's kind of how I got involved in the pro-life ministry is kind of from the back, from the other side is that I saw all these uh, victims of, a, of having gotten abortion, uh, men and women, and thought, I'm glad that the church has this ministry to reach out to these people who are hurting. Why can't we go upstream and prevent them from being hurt and broken by abortion in the first place? And so my first foray into pro-life ministry was really aimed more at the, the, the mothers rather than let's save the children, which is of course a huge part of it. Uh, but you know, the angle, the, you know, the way that God led me into it was let's save the women from all of these consequences that I've seen that they suffer from over the years that I've been doing this ministry. I've been blessed to be part of this ministry. So that's kind of how I got here. That's wonderful. And you're right. It's been, it's, I like that logic of, you know, loving the suffering where they're at, but also working to prevent the suffering in the first place. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. In our last episode with um, Drs. Manning and Whitaker, we talked about this from a scientific standpoint, but could you talk to me a little bit about what the church's stances are on when human rights actually begin? One of the difficulties with trying to find a reasonable point for the, the defensibility of abortion is to try to find a line before which it's not a person and after which it is. And every point has a every point breaks down every theoretical white line or bright line breaks down until you end up tracing all the way back to conception you know whether it's you try to say it's the quickening whether you try to say it's birth whether you try to say it's 
um, you know, whatever developmental stage, there's always a, a f- some logical failure until you go all the way back to conception. So it's by logic that we get to the point that you say you really have to not do anything to offend the the reasonableness of human life beginning at that point. You can't deliberately act against the good of a human being at any stage all the way back to conception and all the way to natural death. That at every point along that way, the human rights of that person prevail against any choice made against those rights, which, of course, the first of which is the gift of the the right of life. We've been hearing a lot about, you know, that argument, my body, my choice. Where does that fall with with being pro-life and being? I can understand that we have this desire for autonomy. It is one of our fundamental rights, just like the right to life. Um, But of course, the right to life trumps the right to autonomy because right to life is that first life. You have no autonomy autonomy if you're dead, (laughs) Uh, if you don't have life or you're not a human being. So you have that right to autonomy. The problem comes in when the right, when, when rights of different people uh, conflict, you know, I have this right, you have that right, and then you have to decide or determine where the, the point is where those two rights meet. The my body, my choice, again, like I said, is, is a right that has to be secondary to the right to life. Um, as human beings who are material and spiritual, we have a much easier time dealing with what we can sense, what we can see, hear, taste, smell, touch. And so a, a person that we, a, a person that we can see tends to have a more, a greater immediacy to our sensibility, to our sensibilities than someone we can't, right? And so it's easier for us to defend the rights of someone that we can see than the rights that we can't. And so, it becomes difficult because my body, my choice, you know, somebody saying that, that makes sense. You know, you, again, you have, there's this sense of, I, I want to be autonomous to my own body, right? I don't want people making decisions about my health and my body. I, I, I can understand that. But again, the right to life is prior to that. Um, but because it belongs to somebody that we can't see or doesn't look like a person necessarily at every stage of development in the womb, it's harder for us to assign that that right. It's hard for us to conceive of that, no pun intended. <laughs> but that right is there nonetheless. If we're going to, again, presume, not presume, but if we're going to, to take the reasonable conclusion that you can't draw a bright line anywhere after con- conception, well, then that's where those rights begin, and that's where we have to assign those rights, including the right to life. So my body, my choice uh, has that working against it as far as it competes against a higher right by somebody else. And also, as much as I would love to claim that bodily autonomy, it's not an absolute right. If, you know, a couple of years ago, I got diagnosed with uh, psoriasis, which is fortunately with medication, it's being managed very well, but it was still a huge pain before it was diagnosed. It was really, it was kind of disfiguring and humiliating. I didn't choose that. It wasn't my body, my choice, right? If I'm in an accident, where I become a paraplegic. That wasn't my choice, but I don't have the right to go to that person says, you didn't have the right to take that from me, right? Um, it happened and it's there and that's what it is. And so our, 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 my body, my choice 
has qualifications and conditions and limitations to it. It's, it's obviously not an absolute thing. And I can't take my body and do something else to somebody else's body because then that violates their rights. Right. Right. Um, so the same thing to the unborn. You can't just take your body and do something to somebody else's body, even if it's in your body. That violates their higher rights than just bodily autonomy, such as the right to life. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. Can, with the women that you've worked with and the families that you've worked with at Rachel's Vineyard, yeah. have you seen that abortion was the answer for traumatic events such as rape or incest? It was the answer that was provided to them. But like we said before, that's a lie. Um, that's, that's this mirage or this, yeah, mirage. It's this illusion that you, that you undo and then go down this other reality where that didn't happen. It doesn't work that way because everything that happens to us is remembered by our reality. Our person, our body remembers these things. So if you have an assault and an abortion, like an abortion just adds another assault, another trauma to, an existing trauma. How is that better? Right. You know, this isn't two negatives make a positive. The child is not the problem. The situation is the problem. You have to deal with a situation that doesn't include killing the child. That's, again, never as going to be a successful part of a solution. It seems that way because you want to do the undo because you don't see the child as a person. And Unseen means it's easier for us to deal with abstractly and dismissively. Right. Like and, if it was a three-year-old standing pretend, in front of you, it'd be different. Right. That it's, that it's not a reality. And that's what people have to do. They have to pretend. They have to compromise their, their reason, their reason to say, I can't accept that this is a person because then that means I can't do this thing to them. And, Throughout history, whenever you have a controversy about who is a person, it's always about denying rights to certain persons, whether that whatever that group of persons might be. That's a very way. That's a very concrete way to think about it. Building off of that, have you seen that abortion was the answer for someone who didn't want to bring a child into poverty or risking abuse? It, it bothers me when I hear somebody use the argument for abortion that I didn't want to bring a child into this world. I didn't, how could I, how could I have, how could I allow this child to enter this world? How could I have a baby into this world? The baby's already in this world. When you're pregnant with them, when it's in the womb, it's already in this world, right? An abortion doesn't prevent the baby from coming into the world. Abortion doesn't prevent, abortion stops. Whatever can happen to that baby Abortion is the worst thing that can happen to that baby. So you're not doing it any favors. You're not doing him or her any favors by killing it before it even experiences anything of the world that is good. So no, that's not a solution. Yes, this world is a mess. This world has always been a mess since Adam and Eve fell from the garden. And every age has had its difficulties and this age is as good and as bad as every other age as far as it's right to have children. And how is the human race going to continue to a better time if we abort the next generation? Right. So we want to have 
children born who have hope, who have uh, possibility, who have creativity, who have the gifts that God is giving the world in this time. God has a plan for the salvation of the world, and that child's gifts are part of that solution. We are stewards of that person with those gifts to bring them up, to allow those gifts to flourish for the good of the world. And so if you want the world where you're not questioning whether you can bring a child into this world, then let that child change the world. I love that. We talked about Rachel's Vineyard earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I understand there's a project, Rachel, as well. Right. What are the, the are difference? they, are they, yeah, what are the, what's the difference? Are they related somehow? They're really only related in the sense that they both took this image of Rachel from the Old Testament, uh, who was this maternal figure for the people of Israel. And there's a line, I think it's from Isaiah, where the people of Israel, uh, Jerusalem specifically, were being marched into exile. And the line in the scriptures is that Rachel weeps for her children are no more, right? Because Israel, Jer- Jer- um, Jerusalem is being emptied of its children. Um, they're being sucked out and taken away to uh, Babylon. So they both took that like maternal pain of losing their children. Project Rachel, which was the later development, is more of a network for contact. People uh, struggling after an abortion can have this number to call this network. They talk to somebody who supports them and asks them who they would like to talk to, where they are, what kind of their immediate need is as far as who to connect them to within the network. So it could be a counselor, therapist, uh, maybe police, ambulance, healthcare, could be priest or whatever religion they might be. I think Project Rachel is specifically Catholic um, as far as itself, I'm sure it ministers to whoever calls. So being having already been part of Rachel's Vineyard, I was I accepted the invitation to be one of the priests involved in Project Rachel. When somebody calls, they try to match the contact that the network connects them to within their geographical area if the person is willing to provide that. One of the connecting points for Project Rachel is if somebody is willing or ready to go to a retreat to face the struggles coming from their abortion, then that's the person who Rachel's Vineyard is perfect for. Like Sometimes that can be too big of a first step. Rachel's Vineyard is that like Monday or I should say Friday afternoon, Friday evening to Sunday afternoon where you deal with the trauma of your own choice to get an abortion, whether and whether you felt pressured to do that and you lost that sense of autonomy. Uh, the I love Dr. Burke's book where she kind of lays out the foundations of Rachel's Vineyard is called Forbidden Grief because in the world's view, you chose abortion. Abortion has no negative consequences that the modern medical, psychological community is willing to acknowledge. So you're not allowed to grieve your abortion. So Rachel's Vineyard takes the exact opposite approach. It invites you and it kind of sets the stage for you 
to grieve your abortion, what you lost, the difficulties that came after that. Uh, sometimes women have a real difficulty connecting and bonding with later children after an abortion. Sometimes if you, I encourage anyone to read uh, Dr. Brooks' book. Sometimes it can be difficult to get a hold of, but it, it, she outlines all kinds of things that women have suffered. Difficulty with certain songs because it was on the radio on their way home from their abortion or on the way to the abortion. Certain kinds of days because that was the way the sky looked on that day. So how that's the relationship between the, the two ministries is one is kind of a first step and one is more of a, I've dealt with this a little bit and I'm ready to really heal and, and move forward. If a woman is facing an unwanted pregnancy, usually a man had something to do with it. Um, abortion is not solely a women's issue. John Paul II said the task of every man is to uphold the dignity of every woman. You had mentioned that like some men come to Rachel's Vineyard as well. So mm -hmm. women aren't the only ones with the consequences True. of of their actions, you know, True. whether they decide to get an abortion or, and it, an abortion affects more than just the women. Sometimes oh, yeah. it affects the man involved Obviously, as well. Yeah. When we have a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, what the, that first Friday night, there's a video that has been provided by uh, the organization, the Rachel's Vineyard organization of women who have had an abortion and have gone through kind of the steps that Rachel's Vineyard leads you through by Sunday afternoon. And one of the people in this video is a man who paid for the, the abortion of his girlfriend at the time and has since that point really suffered the consequences of that, of the guilt and, and the disorder of his relationship with women since then and the relationship with children, you know, with, with, with the idea of being a father and how that, again, how that just kind of un unravels your spirituality and your psyche and your emotional, your emotional being. So yes, I mean, men definitely can be victims of an abortion that they cooperated in as far as if not saying you must get one to even here's the money for it, or here's half the money for it, you know? So men definitely can be victims of their own willingness or their own participation, their own cooperation in that evil. Likewise, I, there are stories that we've probably all heard. I know I've heard of men who feel cheated out of their, fatherhood because the mother of their child got an abortion against their will. But you definitely have a sense where a f the father may not have planned a child, particularly one with somebody he's not married with, but absolutely was willing to provide for the child and raise the child and as far as his fatherhood and support the, the mother of the child to some degree. Not just saying, you know, treating her like, you know, an incubator, but really to support and, and wanted to come together. And so robbed of that, there's certainly a wound there. Men do have that obligation. Like you said, you know, it takes two to tango and it takes two to make a baby. 
And if she finds herself pregnant unexpectedly, then yes, he has an obligation to take care of both the woman and the child. That doesn't mean 100% support. Like, you know, she's not his, you know, ward. <laughs> but certainly support as far as as providing for the, the difficulties and challenges of raising a child. Um, he has obligations there, I would say. Uh, at the same time, then, I would think that that and allows him to have certain rights as a father. Now, if we get into assault, that whole thing changes dramatically. I don't know that a woman should be obligated to have frequent contact with her assaulter. I think that would be very unjust and very emotionally you know, manipulative. And I've heard of that happening. I, I don't know if, or at least being threatened to happen. So I don't think that that's right either. So how that would work out, uh, I haven't really given it enough thought to say, what's the ideal solution? I don't know if there is an ideal solution to that kind of crisis, that kind of situation. So, you know, he doesn't get off the hook. It's not her problem. It's not a woman's problem. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a situational problem, like we said. It's not, it's the baby's not the problem. The situation is the problem. So, a man has obligations. What those obligations and what rights he has depends so much on the situation. I don't know that we can make a blanket statement about what rights and obligations he has. Certainly he has them. What would you recommend for someone who is looking to get more involved in the pro-life movement? The easiest thing to do would be to go find your local pregnancy center, call them up and say, what do you need? What can I do? I want to volunteer. I want to get more engaged. I want to be more invested in helping people in crisis pregnancies to keep their child and to thrive. Um, we have this wonderful organization in our diocese, uh, Undefeated Courage, which does, they're the ones that run the Rachel's Vineyard retreats. They do the uh, prayer vigils outside of the abortion clinics. They'll call your local priest. Call, say, you know, I want to get more involved in pro-life. What do I do? Hopefully, your priest will lead you to one of these resources. If nothing else, add it to your prayer intentions. And certainly, if you're open to God responding to those prayer intentions, He will help you find a way to to live that out and be an answer to those prayers yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.